You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have about 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry, so we know a little bit about it. Every week, we look at the five biggest stories in manufacturing and the implications they have on the industry moving forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by giving the podcast a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. Finally, to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. How are you doing this week, Anna? Great. Let's do this. I'm excited. Right. Let's jump into it. Jeff? Good. Yeah. We got some good stuff to talk about. Should yeah. We, should be a good show. Right. And we're fighting. We're remodeling. So we gotta, we're racing the construction. We're going to take our time. They can wait. They, they're on our time. David. Jeff is that guy. Come on. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> everyone waits for me. Right. Everyone everyone has an opinion and they're entitled to it, Jeff. It's no. an attitude. <laughs> Just stay back there, Joel. Our top story this week, our first story this week, how Tesla helped solve a hate crime. A man was arrested last month and charged with setting fire to Martin Luther King Jr. Community Presbyterian Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. Surveillance footage linked Dushku Velchev to four fires at the church which had a predominantly black congregation. The man also slashed and stole a number of car tires in the area, one of which was a Tesla. The vehicle's security camera captured Volchev committing the crime and placed him at the scene of all four fires. He faces up to 30 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. Anna, he was caught pretty red-handed in <laughs> The evidence was quite compelling. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know. Here's a benefit to some of the Tesla technology that's been getting a lot of flack um, for what's considered to be privacy concerns. You know, mm. I mean, we talked a few weeks back about how Tesla's system for monitoring drivers, for example, is a lot different than other automaker systems, which rely on sensors, whereas Tesla's uses cameras. Um, and then here, I assume we saw Tesla's sentry mode in action. And I don't know if you guys have like read up at all on sentry mode, but it's the the system that was actually designed to record things like accidents mm -hmm. or hit and run accidents as well as potential like theft scenarios. So when you look at the footage of this loser, <laughs> you see like a full image of his face and body as he's monkeying around with these tires on the Tesla. And I know that the results of this case were positive, but I kind of wonder if there'll be any blowback on Tesla as people get to see just how much of the area around the vehicle is actually being captured. Because you really could see a lot of the surrounding area. And in this case, like, obviously, it's great that this person was caught and there was a positive benefit to the story. But, um, you know, meanwhile, in the background, there's all this scrutiny on Tesla, as always. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of wonder if there's going to be the privacy advocates out there kind of crying foul here and saying, this is too much observation of a surrounding area. I don't know. Well, that was the big story in China a couple of weeks ago, right, Jeff? Um, I mean, now we get a, a even clearer picture of exactly what those cameras can are capable of. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting and it's obvious here. I mean, the owner of the vehicle would have worked with police anyway because the tire was being stolen. I, I don't know exactly if the owner of the Tesla had a connection with the church or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. But because there was a crime being committed, the footage was volunteered, given right to local law enforcement. And they could use that with other security cameras in the area. It was This was sort of the, the, the final nail in the coffin for this guy in terms of placing him there and, and committing these crimes. But it does make you wonder, what if that guy was just walking past? Mm -hmm. Okay, Would the owner of that Tesla known 
enough to submit that information to the local authorities? Are the police going to start looking for Tesla owners and saying, hey, if you're in sentry mode, that's a closed caption TV type of dynamic, at which point they could subpoena and use it potentially for evidence? Mm-hmm. Or is this more of a moral th- uh, obligation that Tesla owners may feel to be looking at some of this footage just to see what's going on? Well, I believe sentry mode works where it, it captures like the 10 seconds before and after an event. So it's not constantly on. So I think the fact that he slashed the tires, triggered yeah. sentry mode, and just caught him the most dead to rights <laughs> I've seen somebody in it. Mm, it was so bad. Yeah, like, it was very clear. Mm-hmm. I guess. And it was pretty impressive that way. And well, it was night, right? I expected it to be like night visiony and sort of grainy, and it was not at all. You could clearly see his face. Yeah, yeah. I just I would like to see it when he's like, "Is that you?" Oh no, no, that ain't me. <laughs> yeah. um, and we also have to state how this is just not a good man. Like yeah. beyond the hate speech found on his phone, yeah, he's also he is originally from Bulgaria with a lengthy criminal history. Including in 2015, he pled guilty to threatening to kill the Bulgarian president. Just, A, he emailed the vice president. Is that just readily out there? Just like, (laughs) yo, what's up? I'm coming for your boss. Who is this guy from Maine? Yeah, I mean, well, the one thing, too, here is this is this technology being utilized in the way that you would hope it would be, and in Mm -hmm. the right way. We've, We've been critical of other applications of similar privacy potentially privacy of approaching technologies and if they're because they're being handled in the wrong way being used by bad actors here it was being utilized the exact way you would want it to be utilized this person was doing something wrong they got caught and i mean it led to them being convicted of something much more heinous than grabbing some tires so right it's a positive story in that respect too agreed agreed our next story this week 3m loses many first of many earplug lawsuits. A jury awarded three veterans a total of $7.1 million in a case against 3M that went to trial. They determined that 3M failed to warn users of product defects relating to its earplugs. Combat Arms earplugs are designed for soldiers, and 3M acquired the line from another manufacturer in 2007. Because of the alleged design flaw, hundreds of thousands of veterans have claimed that they've experienced hearing loss or ringing in the ears, tinnitus. 3M still faces thousands of lawsuits that have been filed making similar claims. I mean, Anna, this could be a real big problem for 3M. Uh, It could. Um, And that issue here is, you know, how much did 3M know Mm -hmm. about the defect? Um, So, I mean, what's really sad is that these earplugs were described as being standard issue, and they were used for 12 years before 3M stopped making them. So, Think about all the damage that could have been done in that time. Mm -hmm. Um, I looked into some more about the complaints to try to understand what this defect was. Um, And it sounds like the problem with the design was basically that the plugs could loosen in an individual's ear due to what was described as a defect Mm -hmm. in its shape. And once this occurred, it was really hard apparently for the user to notice and it was hard for an observer to notice that that earplug was loose. So like the seal would loosen inside the ear canal. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to tell. Meanwhile, the protection from loud noises like explosive devices or, you know, something like that was minimized. And these vets have wound up with hearing loss or tinnitus. Is that how you say it? Right. Right. <laughs> um, ringing in the ears. Yeah. <laughs> that they're blaming on these defective plugs. And um, unfortunately these were used heavily in Iraq, Afghanistan, kind of in the early two thousands. So The Hearing Health Foundation says that 1.16 million veterans received disability 
compensation for hearing loss in 2017 and 1.79 million received compensation for tinnitus. Mm. Uh, it's can, like the top complaint um, among veterans in terms of a disability claim. Mm -hmm. So we don't know what's related to the plugs, of course, but if the results of this case are mimicked down the road and we'll find out soon because there's another case going before the trial in May, um, then we could see more payouts and potentially more lawsuits. So this could be a, a huge deal. Well, what was crazy to me is that part of 3M's argument is that in 1999, the U.S. Army asked Arrow, the manufacturer back then, the previous company, to shorten the plugs so they would fit in standard issue military carrying cases. Mm. And so that seemed, to me, that seemed like a crazy point where it, because Arrow also had, did its own testing that showed that shorter earplugs didn't fit properly unless they were inserted in a particular way. So I don't know, having read that, not knowing the full extent of the case, it sounded like maybe they'd be a little bit more protected, but I feel like 3M is not the only one responsible for this. Well, this is interesting to me. So I got into the Army. I was in the Army Reserve for 12 years. And when I joined, I was in the field artillery. Mm -hmm. And so an earplug case was part of your standard uniform for the unit that I was in. We wore it right on our uniform, and I need to have plugs in it. There was no standard issue earplugs at that point, mm -hmm. okay? So this is late night. This is 94, 95 when I got in. And <laughs> the fact that there is this much concern and focus on soldier safety is great. Because when I was in, it was like, hey, if you can find something, use it. Mm. basically yep. there was no focus and this was field artillery big yeah. guns like what okay find some scrap paper and bring it out with it you. was you know it's like the um, the styrofoam ones or oh. if you could find the good rubber ones but mm. there was no worried about depth it was just do you have something yeah get something okay? in there the whole time and like when i was going through i went through um fort artillery school in, in fort sill the cadre there all of them it was almost an ongoing joke like they couldn't hear oh yeah <laughs> i mean um, they would use earplugs, obviously, but there was, again, there was no standard issue. So the fact that we've come that far is good. I can understand the uniformity and wanting the plugs to fit in the case. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, it was sacrificed for soldier well-being. So again, we've, we've, there is a definite um, evolution and improvement in terms of the focus on taking care of soldiers. Um, so that's great to see. What's interesting here and maybe a little bit frustrating for me is the fact that 3M settled a lawsuit with the Army in 2018 for $9.1 million, I believe it was. It was a whistleblower suit. So mm -hmm. somebody at 3M basically said, hey, we know why this isn't working. Mm -hmm. And the Army won this suit. Now it was $9 million, which was basically the same amount in that, that it was equal to sales in just 2006. Yeah. So 3M still made a tremendous amount of money off of this contract. But as part of that settlement, they didn't have to admit any wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. They did not have to say this was wrong. There was a defect. We knew about this. And that's part of why 3M is still continuing to be in this much trouble and could continue to see more suits because that just basically said, hey, we should have been more forthcoming with the Army about this design. We yeah. should have told them a little bit more. That's basically all it was. If that, it, it just makes you wonder. I don't know all the legal loopholes here, but you almost wonder if that would have been a bigger settlement and they would have said, this is what happened. Yeah. Would, they, would all of these individual vets still be able to go, be able to go after 3M I mean, you've got three people who just settled a $7 million case. So what is this, what, what this going to end up being if this continues to be left to a jury to basically say, yeah, you guys screwed up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're going to continue to award these amounts. Now, there's appeals and everything else, so you don't know exactly how much is going to actually end up trickling down to these veterans that were affected. Mm -hmm. But I think 3M's really got a can of worms here. 
No, well, and you talked a little bit about the sales. They made $30 million just in the version two sales from 1999 to 2009. And what I found incredible, just in line with every, you know, uh, U.S. Army markup, like, cliche out there, was that a set of earplugs cost 85 cents to make, and they sold them to the military for $7.63. Also, what a weird, arbitrary number. And my goodness, that is just gluttonous. It's gluttonous. Anyway, uh... Our next story this week is an incredible story about a jet suit helping Marines board ships. Last week, Gravity Industries posted a video of recent tests with the Royal Marines, the UK's commando force, and the Royal Navy's amphibious troops. And the footage, as I said, is incredible. It was a series of tests of one to three pilots taking off from a fast-moving rib boat and boarding a Royal Navy patrol vessel. Without a jet suit, Marines would likely board the vessel using a helicopter and fast roping one at a time. It's a slow process that leaves the Marines vulnerable. Gravity Industries was founded by UK inventor Richard Browning in April 2017 after he made a prototype jet-powered suit for more than $50,000 in his own garage. I mean, Jeff, you saw the footage. That was that is impressive. It is cool. This is real life Iron Man stuff. I right. mean, they've talked about Elon Musk from a, a creative side, sort of being like Tony Stark. This suit, mm-hmm. I mean, or backpack. It's not really a. Well, it's a jet suit. Yeah, yeah. it's a jet suit. Um, yeah, with the way that they were able to control it and land, it was definitely mm-hmm. especially because they hold yeah, not motors. What would you call it? The the, the, the rockets. Yeah, yeah, the rockets are in their hands. In their yeah. hands. So yeah, it was incredibly impressive, and you just do wonder how long it took for those guys to be that proficient mm-hmm. in landing it. What's cool, though, is if you go to Gravity's website, they have a day where you can go to their facility. Mm-hmm. It costs like 8300 bucks, yeah. but they'll teach you how to use this thing and fly and land and everything. It looks it looks amazing. <laughs> we'll start the Patreon um, today. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, super cool. And I can, you know, having some, some friends who went through like air assault school, which would be the guys coming down from the chopper on the rope. Yeah, you are. I mean, you're, you're definitely hanging in the wind. Mm-hmm. The one thing that would be concerning in terms of other applications here, I mean, they're doing racing and they're doing some other cool stuff. From a military application, which is kind of what they seem to be targeting, or at least they were with this demonstration, there would be some concern in my end, and I think with some other um, militaries as well, and the fact that you do have a gas-fueled... Um, you got a bomb on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was thinking a little bit, I've been reading a lot of World War II history and stuff where they guys with the, the flamethrowers, I mean, they oh. stopped doing that because those guys were carrying five gallons of gas on their back. Oh, my God. So... There would be concern, some concerns there. I'm sure you could do some things to protect that fuel source. But um, right now, yeah, super cool. You, if anybody who's listening, you do have to look at this video. It is incredible mm-hmm. to see these guys landing on this boat. Anna, two rockets on each arm and one on your back. I mean, no to the flying car, but definitely yes to this, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Come on. Uh, no, I mean, like... I was not familiar with the term jet suit, but now that I've seen this video, I'm wondering like how long will it this it be before there's some sort of consumer oriented like recreational jet suit that people will use like at the beach and drunkenly fly into each other? Because like, <laughs> I, why the beach? Wow. Well, I have to be drunk. Come on. You, yeah, right. All those things though, don't you think? I mean, I mean, we're clearly <laughs> well, in New Jersey. I got like, that. Like you <laughs> would take like a 30 minute training class, and the person would be like, "You just use your." body's own natural balance bro and then (laughs) (laughs) and then you would just crash into the ocean and die yeah Yeah. like 
for there sure. There is a parachute on it. For, oh, good. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it should be more of a kite. I don't know what a parachute's going to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, see, the reason I thought the beach was funny is because you already have those water-powered jet suits out there. And, yeah. I mean, that's their turf. So, right. You know. This is this is the next step for people that love to, like, be extreme. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're going to drink Mountain Dew and jet suit on the beach. And they're going to jet suit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lower tier offering. I think it's more like 2500 bucks or something like that, too, for, like, just to basically get in it and go. Yeah. Well, so... One of the things that I thought were interesting was you had mentioned the International Race Series, which I will watch that forever, and that I think will be the death of esports. I'm never watching a drone race again if I can watch men in jet suits and women yeah. race. Um, and it's also got some really cool sponsors, uh, the company in general, like SolidWorks, UPS, Limo, and EOS. And what made me interested was why is UPS a sponsor? I saw that too. Yeah, it's like UPS guys are gonna wear them. Oh heck yeah, man! Those brown shorts are coming flying in. Oh, like uh, um, yeah, they're just sitting there. Hey, Amazon, you know what? You have your drone delivery. Yeah, we're putting jetpacks on our guys, and uh, I would switch to UPS if I knew he was coming in a jetpack. Oh, that's yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and right now on your website, if you're interested in possibly a millionaire, you can commission your own jet suit. So I'm gonna wait for the cost to come down. But uh, no, if given the opportunity, I think that would be great. When I initially covered the prototype four years ago, they uh, Richard Browning sh showed, shared videos of some of the uh, balance training that he had done. And I'm not there yet. <laughs> I don't have, I don't think I exhibit quite the body control that man has yet, but I'll work on it. I'll touch my toes first. Yeah, we believe on, in you, David. Yeah. Work on that core. <laughs> <laughs> Our next story this week, multiple dead after overpass collapse. Uh, the Mexico City elevated subway line collapsed last week. 25 people, including children, were killed. The line was plagued with problems and poorly designed from day one in 2012. A 2017 survey of damage caused by a 7.1 magnitude earthquake showed indications of construction defects that should have shut the line down immediately, including a sagging section of two-week steel. It seems that authorities have always opted for the quick fix with this one because failure of the $1.3 billion line was not an option. Anna, this was a tragic story this week. It was. And I think like the focus on the defects specific to this transit line <clears throat> sort of take away from the larger uh, story here. I mean, this incident occurred at a time when the U.S. is facing a reckoning on infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And Biden is basically having to sell his costly plan for investing in roads, bridges, transit. And obviously, as you said, there's been allegations about poor design construction on the subway line that collapsed. But it's also easy, I think, to view this as something that happens elsewhere and not here in the United States. But unfortunately, America's infrastructure is crying out for help. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all seen every year the American Society of Civil Engineers puts out that annual infrastructure report card. And I think in 2020, we got a C minus, but that's actually up a little bit from years prior where the grade has been as low as like a D plus. And they always cite the same categories that are at strong risk of failure. And these are like public transit, uh, stormwater infrastructure, airports, roads, highways. So let's not make the mistake of viewing this as a localized problem. This is a problem staring down America as well. I think we're facing significant risk of this type of incident occurring here too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
Jeff, I know that you got to cringe when you hear infrastructure costs, but we're all driving on those roads and they're not working. Well, and it brings up an interesting point, and I don't think anybody would debate Anna's point in terms of there needs to be infrastructure investment here in the U.S. One of the critical failings of this particular line, however, and it was one of the more popular transit lines within the city, the Mexico City, riders were paying a quarter yeah, per, per ride. Mm-hmm. Now, understanding a lot of that is dependent on the economics of the area, but if we translate that a little bit to the U.S., do you like paying tolls? I hate paying tolls when we go down to Illinois. I mean, I typically expense them. Well, you know <laughs> but what I'm no, saying? yeah, they're burdensome. And or when you, you know, when we are in the city and we are paying for, well, in New York, the subway or, or getting on a bus or something like that, there's always like, well, I got to figure out and pay for it. It's just easier. I'm just going to get in my car. I'm going to call an Uber, whatever. So we don't like, there's always a resistance by the user or the consumer <clears throat> when it comes to paying for these things that are going to go long term towards infrastructure improvement, ideally. Yeah. You know, Biden's plan is calling, one of the ways he's going to fund that is with a corporate tax increase. Nobody likes that, mm-hmm. okay, on the, on the uh, Republican conservative side. So, again, where do we draw that line? Yeah, we want better infrastructure, but we complain about some of the things that are put in place to help reinforce it and pay for it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one of the things that we're, we've seen here. If we do want better infrastructure, there's going to have to be something. Yeah. I don't know what the correct solution is, but there is going to have to be something to help pay for it because we're looking at spending $2 trillion on infrastructure to avoid situations like this. Yeah. And granted, hopefully we don't have the level of corruption that was also attached to the history of the construction of this line, but there does have to be some sort of sacrifice um, to see these things get better. Well, you're right, Jeff. I mean, like it's preventative, right? So there's nothing sexy about that when you're running for Mm reelection. No one wants to eat it on infrastructure, even though everybody wants the infrastructure to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know there's like a lot of, it's a very knotted issue, even though it seems very straightforward. But I'll also say to that point, yeah, I don't like tolls. Um, but traveling to New York more and more, I am perfectly comfortable, you know, having a Metro card and taking that pretty much anywhere in the Northeast. Um, but it does take a little bit of a learning curve. Um, I mean, what I want well, I think it gets thing. ingrained into just your, your day-to-day. That's yeah. what you do. I mean, we don't have that type of thing around here. Yeah. I mean, we do have a bus going downtown and stuff like that, but we're, we're a smaller town. But it just seems even in the larger cities, paying for that just becomes an issue. Yeah. Paying, paying the level that allows for it to be kept up and yeah, maintained maintain at the level that it needs to be is an issue. And it goes beyond public transit. We're talking bridges, roads, all that kind of good stuff, too. True. And you had mentioned the corruption, and we have seen some corrupt endeavors in our time here, but this one is a crowning achievement. As the project faced allegations of design flaws, other conflicts of interest, a top executive at one of the companies that built it was the brother of the man who oversaw the project for the government. Maybe a red flag there. Uh, reports by engineering firms revealed a series of, quote, startlingly wrong choices. Yeah, they even had trouble with like the wheels and the rails being the standard sizes, right? Right. Yeah. Well, because they chose to use um, they chose to use metal wheels, which with unusually sharp curves, and that caused the rails to start like warping and mm-hmm. creating these wavy patterns. So drivers had to slow down to as low as three miles per hour at certain points, making it inefficient, and they had to grind these rails back into shape. So overall. I mean, overall, it's kind of a, uh, you know, how you do need oversight with these larger infrastructure uh, projects and also make sure that the oversight uh, chiefs aren't brothers. Probably good call. I mean, maybe if they have a better relationship and they're more of the honest type. I don't know. Um, 
Either way, I'm excited for rail to come potentially and connect the Midwest again. You know, the whole Milwaukee, Madison, Green Bay. I mean, the prospect of hitting a Packer game on a train and cutting that drive out, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Um, Our top story this week, a single screw caused $2.2 million in damage. On July 5th, 2020, at about 2.50 in the morning, the 737... 736-foot-long Atlantic Huron self-unloading bulk carrier struck a pier in the Sioux Locks in Michigan. No one was injured, but the accident caused $2.2 million in damage. The accident was traced back to a single screw. The NTSB investigation found that the crash was caused by a maintenance error in the incorrect installation of a single set screw. Investigators found no evidence that manufacturer-required thread-locking fluid had been applied. As a result, the set screw backed out, beginning a series of mechanical failures that resulted in the ship moving ahead and increasing speed when it was supposed to be doing the opposite. Anna, Loctite. Mm, This could have been worse. It could have been so much worse. And it's pretty scary when you consider it was a maintenance error Mm -hmm. and just, you know, correct or incorrect installation, excuse me, of... Oh, screw. Mm-hmm. I mean, I worry about the manufacturing industry likewise because of the skills gaps that we're seeing. Like I just read this uh, press release um, issued by Deloitte and the Manufacturing Institute. They just released a report about the number of job vacancies in the manufacturing industry. And they said that manufacturers can't even get entry level people uh, to take jobs right now. Completely unskilled work. Um and th- and so they said we can't fill those, let alone jobs that require a more specific skill set. And you just worry with the rush of need there for like maintenance tech jobs in so many different industries too, different trades, mm-hmm. that there will be corners cut or training gaps or something that could lead to major issues like this. I mean, this one was a near miss. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd just be curious how many like seasoned maintenance workers who were nearing retirement or maybe putting it off like accelerated those plans during the pandemic. If anyone knows, email the podcast. I'd be curious to know um, because you h- heard about that a lot in other industries about all these um, skilled workers that were just like, forget it. I'm done. I'm getting out of the workforce. And now like uh, Deloitte and MI said that um, in manufacturing, there's a near record number of job postings right now. Um, 500,000 current open positions in manufacturing and businesses are saying like, we can't grow we can't even keep up with our current production requirements because we cannot fill these jobs. Uh, Jeff, the skills gap problem seems to only be getting worse. It is. It's interesting. Um, <clears throat> got a friend who works at Harley Davidson, listens to the podcast, and we were talking last week. He is in supply chain management, so right now he is going through his own private little hell. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's frustrating, too, for them on an operational perspective is, again, filling these open positions mm-hmm. because – an, an entry-level position when their facilities, when somebody looks at that, or even somebody with some couple years of experience, what they're getting paid right now in terms of unemployment and with some of the stimulus um, incentives that are out there, and then when they calculate in potential risk of coming into work, they're staying at home. Mm-hmm. They're not even coming in. They're not coming into to work. They're not applying for these jobs, even as operations ramp up. So there's another challenge, pandemic-related, just thrown on top of everything there in terms of trying to get not just – people but yeah the best people in there yeah especially those with experience who may be a little bit older and have uh, potentially some other concerns related to going into uh, to work right now 
So hopefully as things ease there, we'll see some of this pressure reduced from a manufacturing skills perspective. But I think what, what got me too with this, and again, we're looking at a screw for crying out loud. I mean, a, a coating on a screw that backed out. And it took time for this to happen. Yeah. But you would hope with the right eyes on it, somebody would have caught it. This thing was empty, thankfully. This mm. huge 70,000-pound ship was empty. If it would have had any kind of cargo, how much more damage could have been done mm -hmm. with much more momentum? This moved a, a concrete pier six inches. Yes. This is a 30-foot channel. Mm -hmm. So however far down that went, that was pure concrete, and the thing just crushed it. So this was, thankfully, it was also 3 o'clock in the morning, I think, when it hit. So mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of people out there. Um, this could have been a, just a huge catastrophe that, thankfully, because of some of those other factors, weren't. Wasn't. Yeah. No, they did. Uh, according to the NTSB, one of the bigger problems with the situation was also that they weren't properly trained for this sort of yeah. failure on the ship. But I would like to give props to the captain. Because the vessel had was actually accelerating um, when the captain decided to cut the engine and drop all the anchors. But, I mean, despite their efforts, they still caused quite the collision. And to your point, I do think there needs to be a little bit more of an incentive to get people back out into the workforce a little bit more. And prior to the pandemic and prior to the additional unemployment incentives, we were talking to manufacturers that were paying signing bonuses to previously fired employees. Mm. You know? I mean, employees that were fired twice, hired again, wow. getting a signing bonus because they needed a body. Yeah. And uh, it's frustrating. And I mean, I feel like there's a lot of labor out there that uh, could get back to work. Yeah. And you do feel like this had to be something related to the pandemic, too. This was July of last year. Things were still pretty hot. When you're talking about a boat going into different ports, I mean, who knows what kind of logistical issues some of those workers were facing. This could have been, you know the second or third stringers that were on the boat at the time. Well, it was, um, I know that it happened, it was kind of like it happened fast but slow. Like, I mean, uh, 7.1 knots, I mean, that's still not that fast overall. Yeah. But, I mean, I kind of made the joke in the video about how even if you've hit a pier coming in a little hot, I mean, <laughs> it, it's yeah, you, a yeah. huge impact. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, maybe I flew off the pontoon boat over the pier one time. I'm not certain if that happened. But... <laughs> It's uh, that's one of those balancing <coughs> things that you're working on, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, working on the balance so I can land yeah. on the rib boat. Good work. Yeah. Um. But uh, they talked about how when all of this was going wrong, they didn't understand because all of the gauges, everything was reading correctly and not making any sense. And it just mm -hmm. sounds like one heck of a cluster. And I mean, it wasn't landing a plane upside down or anything, but uh, I think the captain did his best to, mm -hmm. you know, make the best yeah. out of a really bad situation. All right, moving on to our next segment this week. Let's cue the segment transition music. Oh, we still don't have any. In case you missed it. <laughs> now How's we that? do. Now I we just have made it. A little louder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Anna, take your own lead in. Uh, what was your in case you missed it this week? <laughs> sure. I'd be glad to. Um, all right. The auction house Christie said that it is selling a bottle of French wine that spent more than a year in orbit aboard the International Space Station. And they think a wine connoisseur might pay as much as $1 million to own it. Mm -hmm. Space wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Put it so, over some ice. Red? No, Jeff, it's a red. It's a red. <laughs> I mean, I've paid a significant markup at museums for astronaut food, so I feel like this is the same. Astronaut ice cream in the pouch? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's different. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not taking your wine. How so? A million. What <laughs> if the astronaut ice cream actually went to space? Yeah, it didn't go to space. That's how so, Jeff. Huh. Um, 
<laughs> no. I so mean, uh, so twelve bottles of wine were actually sent in order to study extraterrestrial agriculture, mm. and so it was aged at the ISS and it was returned quote subtly altered, which at first made me feel like ugh, who would drink this? Yeah. But then I remembered that I eat Cheetos and I have no idea what's in that. So I guess right. maybe I would drink space wine. I don't know. I. I mean, yeah, people have thought they were subtly altered before too, and then there was a alien growing in their stomach that's true yeah and well i mean that's true that's true, <laughs> that's true. That's sometimes true. i've seen it in many movies <laughs> sometimes that happens to you <laughs> i mean don't get me wrong if a wealthy friend pops open space wine i'm gonna be first in line to try it i might even watch the you know auction if it's online but do you i buy, don't know do you buy I, this to drink it no this no. is a total scam yeah. Yeah. like i mean you buy it if you're uh, i don't know if, if you you're can. sad and lonely and you have way too much money, this is not. <laughs> Doesn't sound bad. This is not no. a good use of a million dollars. I no. mean, if it were me, I would obviously spend it on space Chardonnay. This is a red. I would, <laughs> like, um, no, I would never do this. But um, kudos to whoever yeah. nets this prize bottle. Wow. Well, it's yeah. one thing to say, like, they're sending wine to space to study it. And then it comes back and they're like. No, we're actually just going to auction this. Well, this was already super expensive <laughs> wine, wasn't it? I mean, this was a premium bottle to begin with, I, I thought. And then you also get like another bottle as part of the package. Oh, um, they make it a buy one, get one. No, well, it's it's to compare them apparently. Oh, okay. So you can see how it was subtly altered. Okay. Um. So, yeah. So once you, so yeah. I guess you just like take the bottles, you put on your monocle and you sit back in your like leather chaise lounge and well, that's a monocle. What, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's one of those hanging around. I'm just trying to think of fancy things. You have like a silk robe. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you just drink it and then compare it. Well, I mean, it's been a pandemic. The silk robe has actually gotten a lot of miles this last year. <laughs> Yikes. Um, this is like a $10,000 bottle of wine. Though. Yeah. No, so. it's a, I mean, still a, quite a markup. <laughs> it's a bit high. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, what else are we going to yeah. send to space? And then, I don't know, whatever. I mean, that is an interesting proposition. Does it, I mean, with the cost of, uh, you know, private consumer satellite launches coming down, uh, maybe this is a new market of stuff that's been to space. So you guys are familiar with, is it that, is it Poppy Van Winkle, that bourbon? That oh, they do yeah. that special edition. What do they get for a bottle of that? I don't recall. It's stupid, but I mean, it's not like this. So I mean, maybe it's to make that look like a bargain. Maybe I that's mean, what's going next. What yeah. would you pay for Space Gin, David? Oh, to add that to the deathbed collection, I'd pay a lot. I mean, I'd sell a car. I wouldn't <laughs> sell the new one. Nah, I'd sell the new one. <laughs> I would skip an addition on the house. Oh, that is a Honey, I traded in our edition See, for you Space know, Gin. You know what's actually worse is that she would just totally understand. That sounds like you. We'll get it back somehow. <laughs> this is especially telling because I was searching for one of my favorite bottles of wine, which is like seven bucks. Yeah. And finally found it. So. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Another. So I would not do this. Like no. five grand. Yeah. I mean, that's just so many cases of gin. Like that's a lifetime gin right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Jeff, what's your in case you missed it this week? So do you guys remember back, way, way, way back when things were somewhat normal, mm -hmm. like January 2020? Do you yes. remember who won the Super Bowl? Oh. No. Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, it was. Yeah. MVP was Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. So coming into the 2020 season, Patrick Mahomes, arguably one of the best players in the NFL, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. How much do you think he made? $30 million that year. 
So he's at the beginning of a deal. He made $10 million with okay. his contract. Similarly, at the end of 2019, the NASCAR standings went out. Do you guys know who Kyle Busch is? I do, yeah. Okay. Good driver. Finished fourth in mm-hmm. the standings. So coming into 2020, how much do you think he made last year, 2020? I mean, for the Patrick sake- Mahomes made $10 million. What do you think he made? Kyle Busch? Yeah. Finished I, fourth. I guess it's going to be more. $20 million? Mm-hmm. Eighteen million. Oh wow! So I just thought that was interesting, kind of leading into my in case you missed it mm-hmm. uh, with NASCAR unveiling their new next generation car okay. that they're going to be putting out. And because one of the criticisms of NASCAR has been how expensive it is to actually get a team in to this highest level of competition, extremely expensive, very sponsor dependent, obviously. And what's really happened is you've got a handful of teams that employ a dozen or so drivers, and really they're the favorites every week. So the idea with this next-gen tech is to make it more of a traditional stock car. Mm-hmm. Not to tell you less engineering, but to make it more like what you would drive off the lot. So when you're looking at a Camaro, a Mustang, a Camry, whatever it is that they drive on the track, these cars are going to look more like that and have a lot more stock parts, body pit frame, all that kind of stuff in it to make a better connection to the consumer and also to keep costs down. Okay. So that it's not so expensive to try to compete in NASCAR so that these higher level teams that can afford all the engineering and all the infrastructure don't dominate as heavily. Okay. So I thought it was a really interesting story because I've always thought NASCAR really plays a huge role. I mean, if you look at everything that's been done in NASCAR that's trickled down to the consumer level in terms of safety, mm-hmm. um, there's been a tremendous amount done there. And I've always felt, and it's not part of the next-gen car in any way, shape, or form, but if you ever wanted to get America on board with electric vehicles, oh. take the gas on a NASCAR. Yeah. Well, because when you put – these guys are intensely competitive. I've always had a ton of respect for NASCAR drivers. I'm not going to get into the whole debate of whether these guys are athletes or not. I think they're tremendous endurance athletes for what they do and how they can control these vehicles, which are hard to drive. They Let's are. not get into it, but here's my argument for it. <laughs> um, no. Um, but um, so I thought it was interesting just the fact that they're coming out with this. They're taking, putting more of the stock in stock car. There's a lot of engineering. And hopefully it will trickle down more to consumer level. Um, uh, well, I know that was it. I think it's Formula One has tried something similar with the Formula E. Yeah. I guess I don't know how popular that is, but I completely agree with you. Make all the cars electric if you want greater consumer buy in. But when I think of NASCAR, I always think of not necessarily the teams that win as the ones with the most money, but the ones that are the best at cheating. Well, it's like the Tom Cruise movie, right? Days of Thunder. There's nothing stock about a stock car. Mm -hmm. That's what they're trying to get away from. That's what they're trying to put more things in there that are more consumer-facing as opposed to high-end tech. Yeah. I like the spirit of this idea. I would like to see it at all tried. (laughs) Um, Anna, are you a NASCAR fan? What do you think? I'm going to give you a guess. <laughs> I'm going to say you're a closet fan. No. Did you say that there's a NASCAR Camry? No. I yeah. thought Jeff said yeah. Camry. Yeah, that's what Toyota runs. Oh, well, right Oh, on. okay. Yeah. That is I, a, yeah. I mean, I got to think that my understanding is right on par with yours, Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I, zero knowledge of what NASCAR, I, it's like people drive around in a circle. I enjoy it. You know, okay. what is it? A lot of left turns. It's a lot of left turns. Yeah. I have to admit, I don't watch it as much as I used to just because it starts when college basketball is ramping down mm. and it ends when football is starting up. So I'm more of a casual fan, but um, yeah. like I mean, in a former life, I used to hang out with the family that this was religion every Sunday. 
Saturday, whatever they are, you know, that was everyone's at the house watching the races. And I tried, you know, I'm just sitting there drinking They're my long. space gin. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, don't you have to drink Mountain Dew when you watch NASCAR? That's what I remember about Days of Thunder. That's oh, the only no, thing that I was Mellow Yellow. Yeah, retained. Was mellow oh, Mellow Yellow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so I retain nothing. Yeah. I can uh, reference my collector card that I still have at home. Um, but no, it was still, uh, I just mixed that with the gin. <laughs> Oof. It was not tasty. Mellow yellow and space gin. Mm-hmm. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> That's my lunch today. Um, my in case you missed it this week was about SpaceX launching and landing its starship for its first successful flight. The victories are never as popular as the failures. And since we've covered the four previous starship test explosions, I figured we should take a moment and applaud SpaceX <laughs> for its first successful test. We owe him one, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, applause. There you go, Elon. You nailed it. Actually, I believe they said that. You stuck the landing. That's our high-end special effects budget over there. (laughs) That's right. Right? Did (laughs) you play the button button on the board? Uh, The latest version of SpaceX's rocket ship flew more than six miles above the Gulf of Mexico, flipped, descended horizontally, then flipped vertically just in time for touchdown. It landed. There was a small fire, (laughs) because of course, but it was all good. They put it out. They put it out. I just want to say that... uh, you know, it's it's uh, nice to see one land. It's an incredible accomplishment. This is, I mean, it's not an easy thing, okay? Obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they blew up three of them before. So Four. Four. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it does put us in that next step for what he wants to accomplish in terms of getting people to the moon and beyond, potentially. Yeah. What was crazy was that, so we've talked about the cost of this thing, right? And uh, so there was... Um, Last last month, there's a lot of competition for the NASA contract as to who's going to get the yeah. satellite contract. And at the time, Musk said that that was going to help fund Starship because, quote, it's been pretty expensive <laughs> so far. Mm. And it's been mostly funded internally. So we've been talking about where the money's coming from. And it's still coming from that, what is it, PayPal money? <laughs> no, uh, yeah. I mean, Anna, first of all, right at the wire, we got Elon Musk in here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's also good to talk about it. I mean, oh, nearly two stories in a positive light here this week. I know. And now he can go into his Saturday Night Live appearance with some confidence. That's right. Is that that's a Saturday, right? It's a, this Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Do you think he's going to walk out and fall down four times before he gets his monologue right? Or <laughs> I. <laughs> I mean, that would be a deep cut if he actually pulled that <laughs> up, because like the three of us are going to be the people that get it like. Why was he stumbling all over the place? Oh, actually, this is a representative of his four failures previously before he got it. Um, no, he, uh, well, this completely changes the skit that I pitched last week, too. Yeah, that's the, true. Ah, and then just the finally, like, the one person left in ground or ground control going, we did it. <laughs> we did it, guys. Someone go put out that fire, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's a testament to your point, though, David, that, like, Every time we cover one of these explosions, it's because it's one of the top red stories of the week. And this one is in case you missed it, which means most people missed it. (laughs) So many people missed it. It's like we I mean, we even tried to say SpaceX lands doesn't explode. (laughs) Everything's fine. You should feel good about this. No one's interested. Put a photo of the explosion saying previous test. (laughs) No, uh, (laughs) it's, it's okay to celebrate the wins every once in a while. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, well done, Musk. Well done, well done, Musk. There you go. Take that one with you. How much gin in that cup there, bud? 
And more mellow yellow, but we'll top her off. We were like a minute from the end, and you just <laughs> I had, had, to to I had to stumble. stumble over a word. That's right. Your final thoughts, Anna? Well, I, I'm like two days away from being fully vaccinated. I got like two days left. I'm at two weeks. Um, and then that happens to fall on Mother's Day on Sunday, so I'm super excited. This is going to be a Mother's Day for the books. I'm going to eat like toast with too much jelly on it uh, in my bed. That's served, yeah, served, breakfast in bed. Produced and served by my children, and it's going to be great. That sounds excellent. Uh, and congratulations. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Yeah. Um, Jeff, your final thought. You know, I had something, and after the uh, <clears throat> the way you closed out the last one, I, I just I can't <laughs> even... Can't even remember what I was going to be. So my closing thought is uh, thank you, David. Thank you for all you do and and everything you've uh, put into this episode. Ah, well, I would like to say uh, to Anna's point, as more people are getting vaccinated and as more people come back to work, I would just like to tell everybody to kind of take it easy. Just remember everyone's been sequestered for a better part of a year. Not everyone, a lot of people. And, uh, you know, maybe that makes people change a little bit, not seeing other humans for a while. Mm, don't so. like, don't say the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. uh, keep, Good advice. <laughs> keep that internal monologue in there. Keep it in there. <laughs> I don't remember you weighing that much. What? Oh, <laughs> man. Huh? That's what you said during the first podcast. You're like, mm. Just like, yeah. I mean, they said the average is 1.5 a month, and I... Shot right through that. Of wait, pandemic weight gain. Pandemic weight gain. Weight gain apparently averaged one point five pounds per month. Whoa. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did the math. I'm still over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sounds conservative. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Oh, I know. I was like, okay, maybe if you're from California. <laughs> Maybe if you're eating lettuce burgers in California. Right? You and your plant-based meat burgers. <laughs> anyway. We had lots of friends here. You, you just made friends in California, you know, New Jersey previously. Oh. You're, yeah. you're crushing it. We'll, we'll stay tight. We'll stay tight. Anyway, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast and email the podcast by reaching any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Subscribe to our newsletter as well. Thank you, Patrick, for calling out my Caprison problem on Facebook. All of my family to see and ridicule me about. I'm David Manti. For Jeff and Anna, this has been the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.